Welcome to A Brew and a Biscuit, a podcast for those who want to live a more intentional life and take a different path. I'm your host, Nicolette LaFonseca. So I'm here with Jennifer from Kids Eat in Colour, who I first found via somebody else sharing one of your posts. And then I did that creepy thing of going and finding you and then stalking like years back in your Instagram feed, just going back and liking every single post. So if one day you woke up to all those notifications, that was me being creepy. Uh, I it, And the post that I found, which made me go, wow, I need to find more things that this woman is saying, was it was a post that was a slide post explaining about why you don't have problems with being overweight and and bringing the intersectionality into it of you know like socioeconomic background and all of those things my mind was blown because no one that I have ever seen ever talks about that and then after looking at your website and what you do it seems to have been that that seems to be like at the core of what has influenced your new venture of affordable flavors Mm -hmm. so if you want to talk a bit more about I mean, am I right? In the- <laughs> so, yeah. Was that an influence? <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, my background, like my educational background is, is in public health and public health really means, you know, what, what is going on with the population as a whole? And are there groups of people who have health problems that are are stemming from behaviors or stemming from the system that they're living in or both. And when I, you know, I think there's a big, there is a big push in many cultures and including our U.S. culture that really says it's it's all personal responsibility. Everything is personal responsibility. If you want to make money, it's your personal responsibility to get the education you need to do what you need to. Same in the UK. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's, there's some really beautiful things that come out of that. You know, I'm in the U S and we're like really big on technology and starting companies and things like that as, as are so many other cultures too. And that kind of rugged individualism fuels people to just do things, you know, And at the same time, when we're so unbalanced and we don't understand that there is also a system, there's society, there's policy, there's the way things have been done, there's a culture. When we're so unbalanced and we don't acknowledge that system, we end up blaming people individually for every single thing that happens to them. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're in a larger body. Oh, well, that must be your fault. And we, we call it a fault because we think that anybody in a larger body is less than right there's a huge there's a a blame blame yeah blame we don't we think that being larger is bad uh all these things right and so there's this there's this balance and as somebody who studied public health what we often studied was the system that is encouraging people to do things. We want to think that we're in charge of everything that we do and we are in charge of our lives and our destiny, at least in Western culture, you know, we're we're in charge of all these things. We have, we have control. But when you look at the data and you look at the systems, you understand people have less control over things than they think they do. For example, there, if I go into a grocery store, 
I have agency. I can decide what to buy within my budget, which may or may not be in my control. And also based on what is in that store, which is also probably not in my control. So here I am thinking that I have control over what I buy, but I'm actually limited by two things. I'm limited by my budget and I'm limited by what's available in that store. And those two things may be something that we can't do. So when people ask me in my Q&A, and I do a weekly Q&A, when people ask me, you know, why are you so thin? I thought, you know, this is a really good opportunity to talk about how systems affect us and our health behaviors and our decision-making. Yes, there are some things that I can do. Um, you know, I have access to fruits and vegetables, I can afford them and I buy them and then I eat them. And so, yes, that has an impact on my health and, you know, may or may not have an impact on my weight, but, uh, you know, so there's, yeah, there's this personal choice component, but there's also all these systemic things that play into that. And, and that's also how I see everything that we do on Kids Eat in Color. You know, how do we acknowledge the system and also acknowledge our own agency within that system? So I may not be able to control my child's entire understanding of sugar, foods with sugar in them. Yeah. You know, my child may go to school and they may hear, oh, sugar is bad and this is good. And I don't really think that's helpful language and I don't think it's really? evidence. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's helpful. And that's not what I teach in my home. But I can't actually control what they're saying at school. I may be able to get involved and help change that, maybe. <laughs> or I may have no control. I, I certainly can't control the fact that my son's classmate came up to him and said, oh, well, sh you know, chocolate is bad for you because it has sugar in it. I can't control that, but I can control what happens at home. So we talk a lot about what can we control, and then we acknowledge the things that we can't control. And that's, you know, that's where affordable flavors come comes I from. I think that's one of the things I really like. So when I first had my son, who um, my eldest son, who's seven now, you know, you go into this, like, I'm going to, you, you know, you spend this whole time being pregnant, which seems like years towards mm -hmm. the end of it, thinking about what sort of parent you're going to be is, is a lot more wonderful in your head than when, you know, when it happens. It's like, I'm going to do this Montessori thing. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be like, I, you know, I, you know, I've done my Pinterest research. I'm going to make these fantastic birthday cakes, but you know, I haven't, they all kind of sink in the middle and look like animals that have been like roadkill basically yes. <laughs> you know you have all these yeah. ideas and it wasn't until I started baby led weaning run the gauntlet of the older generation telling me like why aren't you putting baby rice in his milk no he's got to have his soft food you can't just give him solid food you can't just do this and I sort of navigated that and then realized there was lots of these messages of like you know this food is bad and this food is good and then I sat thinking do you know what I can't think of any adults including myself yeah. that doesn't have a problem relationship with food to, to like to a lesser or greater extent because I thought that in my head we, we sort of convince ourselves that if we don't have an eating disorder that hospitalizes us that is you know is anorexia or bulimia or something that we're, we're okay with food that we're, we're fine and I just started to think about all of these things of like you know the good food bad food of like well if you eat this you can have this and really struggle with 
grandparents in that sense where they're just like well if you finish everything that's on your plate you can have an ice cream and I'm like you know we don't do that we don't do good food bad food like you're telling them that like this carrot and hummus is bad and it's something you have to endure this like torture so that you can get an ice cream which is fun and good but actually maybe they want to like ice cream and they like hummus seeing what you were saying about the fact that you know you can't I can't control what everyone else is saying and letting go of some of that guilt yeah right I mean our kids are going to have to grow up and they are going to have to navigate the diet culture that we live in right now ideally enough kids would kind of have this understanding that no there's no bad foods ideally but they're up against a lot they're up against the food industry which you know, they have a motivation to encourage parents to bribe their kids with dessert because then kids will want more dessert. They have they have the ability to make kids want candy. They they have so much control over childhood commercials, you know, on TV and that sort of thing. And and then there's the whole diet industry, which is such a valuable industry. There's so much money in that industry. And so our kids are, they're growing up and they're going to go into that. And we're not going to be able to protect them from it. But I think what we can do is we can help them ask questions and help them think critically. So when my, when my son said, oh, is chocolate bad for me? I said, well, you know, there's some foods that do a lot of things in your body. And there's some foods that only do a few things in your body. And chocolate is actually one of those things that does a lot of things in your body. And and so we talked about it. And then, you know, another time his friend said, you know, and I, I actually think of chocolate as a, as a pretty, quote, healthy food. And then his friend said, well, sugar is bad. And my son came back and he said to me, he said, oh, so-and-so said sugar is bad but it just does a few things in your body, right? So he had put those dots together. It's not that it's bad. It's just that it does less things in my body. And there's other foods that do more things in your body. I I think for kids growing up, we can give them little snippets of information that are age appropriate to help them understand, no, there's no bad food. I, I just feel so strongly that we can't teach our kids to be unkind. And nutrition information can be so devastatingly unkind when we are categorizing food as good and, you know, this is good and this is bad. Well, to the family who's barely making it financially or the mental health in the family is so poor that the family doesn't have the capacity to cook, you know, what's good for that family is literally whatever they can feed their family. So maybe that's... It's fuel. It's fuel when they need fuel, right? Yeah. Right. It, you know, maybe it's only canned foods. Maybe it's fast foods. Maybe it's, I don't even know. Right. But we can't judge that family and say, oh, they're, they're feeding their family bad food. We cannot say that. We just cannot, we cannot say that. We have to be supportive of families where they're at. And we have to be supportive of each other as parents. There's just so much fighting, you know, like you do baby led weaning. I didn't do baby led weaning. That's fine. There's just so many ways to like for us to pit ourselves against each other and think, oh, I'm doing better than her. I'm doing better than him. And at the at the end of the day, I think what we really want is we all want to 
just kind of be as successful as we can helping our kids thrive. Oh yeah, so a, 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 a much calmer friend than me because I'm I can get quite emotional about things. And uh, my much calmer friend tried to calm, well, basically to calm me down when I was getting upset at a parent uh, who was judging me and said, "Well, the thing is, parenting is is such an emotionally involved thing. So when you come along and you say, oh, we're doing this, that can translate in midair to them hearing." I'm doing this and therefore I think your choices are are rubbish and that can make people defensive can't it which it, yeah when actually yeah. it's like you say it's just that understanding of like we're all in a different place and we've all made different decisions you know I try to to parent in a specific way that I think my kids will want to be parented but they'll probably just be in therapy for a completely different reason than I was. You know, they'll be like, oh God, my mom was just like asking me all the time to make my own decisions. It was too much pressure. She just wanted to tell me what time bed was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so true. I think, I think that is, um, yeah. I, <laughs> I think I've said the exact same thing. But I completely agree on your point. And I actually have a, an Instagram post coming up um, in the next month that specifically talks about that because I think there, I think we want to be non-judgmental, right? We know we're maybe supposed to be non-judgmental, but I think at the core of a lot of us have these judgments and, and the more we invest emotionally in what we're doing and the harder it is, the more we have to believe in it. So if your family didn't do baby lead weaning, and, and by the way, I did not do baby lead weaning, but but it's kind of a hot topic right now. So uh, let's say your family didn't do baby lead weaning. So that means you have done your research. You've put your heart and soul into this. You really want to do it. It's hard because you don't have a lot of support. You don't have a lot of experience. And and it's very emotionally engaging, right? But But you really believe it's the best thing for you and your family. And the harder it is, the more you have to believe to keep going, right? And the more you have to just deeply think that it's the right thing. So then when your friend comes along and says, oh, we did, we did puree feeding, um, and you say, oh, well, we did baby lid weaning, you know, it depends on like, where are you at? Are you, are you in a place where you actually are judging the person or where you're really not judging the person. I think that vibe can come out. I think it's hard to tell, isn't it? And I think okay. especially if you think about the time of our lives when we're when we're in that weaning stage, mm-hmm. we're exhausted. Yeah. Right? You know, that's not any that's not a time when anything is not exhausting in right. parent world. And so you are a little bit on edge all the time. Right. And I am sure that, you know, so many times with things completely unrelated to to the kids, I would say to my partner something and he'd be like, why are you angry at me? And I was like, I'm not angry. But I was just talking in such a way that was so on edge all the time because I wanted to sleep. And why isn't, you know, and, and questioning your own decisions, like you say, you know, you get invested in something, but then everyone has a bad day or you have a day when like to tell you a story I thought I'd nailed things and you know say Sebastian would try something and he seemed to really like it so I would think right I'm going to be super organized because I work for myself I'm not got um 
maternity leave I'm now going to cook a load of this and put it in the freezer and then he never touched it again and so you then it was like the amount of food then I was always eating in like these little tiny frozen portions because like, well someone's got to eat it right <laughs> just eating scraps off my kids plate yeah. is like still happens now but you you then don't know if you are doubling down or you need to change your choices you know so it, it does become this really emotionally charged thing this topic right. in your life yeah it, I find these things to be so interesting so when my son was weaning he began to fall off the growth chart and he was extremely active you know he was walking at nine months running at 11 months and the kid was had zero interest in eating food <laughs> And, and of course there's so many tests to do and, and things. And so high calorie was big for us. And you know what? He hasn't really changed that. He still, you know, we're always kind of hovering on the brink of, of growth issues. And, you know, we've done our due diligence and we've checked things out. And, and finally I came to the point where I said, just like doctors can't treat their own children. I thought, you know, I think I need a dietitian to give me a third party opinion on this because I am way too emotionally invested. Mm. And we got to talking and and she said, does he like bacon? And I said, yeah, he does, but we don't really have it around that much, you know, because eating bacon is actually not really something that we do very much of. And she's like, well, you know, you could just make a whole bunch of bacon and always have it in the fridge and he can eat it whenever he wants. And that was like a, a moment where I thought, wow, I mean, I didn't even, you know, I I have a lot of thoughts about always having bacon, bacon in the refrigerator. And sometimes our own beliefs and our own opinions and our own our own cultures and our family cultures and like all those things, sometimes we restrict ourselves to certain ways of living. And yet we have this child who's their own person and they may need something that's slightly different. And no, we, we don't, we don't just let all of our morals and beliefs and, and desires go. We don't let it all go, but sometimes we have to be a little bit flexible. Mm. It's so, yeah. Cause I, I, you know, I, I thought that, you know, although I don't do like, you know, well, having chocolate is bad or having this is good because actually I'm like you, I'd prefer them to have chocolate than a bag of crisps because I think that that's mm -hmm. better but I don't know if it is but that's kind of what I've decided in my head I thought oh that's you know that's fine you know Sebastian isn't a big sugar freak he doesn't have you know and I'd see other parents having to like coerce their children away from like they always put like a big display of sweets and candy by the checkout by the till don't they which just it's just like why are you doing this I mean I know why they're doing it to make money but it really and I'd see that and I was like I am so lucky that Sebastian is not into that and then I had my second child and I just think he's going to be diabetic before he's five <laughs> he just <laughs> loves it he will just eat anything <laughs> with sugar on and I was like oh god and there were those times where you know, I kind of want him to eat something. There's always a part of me that thinks, you know, I'm just going to lie to him. And I was just like, yeah, I, I cooked this in syrup. And he, like, I hadn't. But I was like, I cooked it in syrup. And he's like, oh, oh, cool. Yeah, I can taste it. I was like, oh, now I'm lying. So I was like, and when I was pregnant, I was like, I will never lie to my children. I will be this parent. And then you just, like, 
poof, it's, it's all changed. Right. Yeah, of course. It might be 4.30 to me, but it's eight o'clock for you. Time to go to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. So there was an, another thing that I wanted to talk to you about with that I hadn't seen anyone else address in the sort of public health and dietitian world, the intersectionality of ethnicity and ethnic background. Mm-hmm. And it, you kind of touched on it a little bit when you were talking about different families eating different things and we're told this is good and this is bad. You know, my my background is we my mum's from India. Mm-hmm. When I was growing up in the UK, you know, having spaghetti bolognese was crazy exotic and if you put a bay leaf in it that was out of this world you know now you know there's you know world food available in a lot of different places and everyone's eating different things but what I was eating was seen as as weird and I remember like kids telling me like you know you know when you can see your parents standing at the gate sometimes in in certain schools Mm -hmm. and they say oh we know we know your granny's here because we can smell her because she smells of curry Mm -hmm. and I was like oh god and I just remember feeling so awful Mm -hmm. as a child growing up and not having any of the teachers actually address that because maybe they were thinking that at the time you know this was back in the early 80s where you know maybe we weren't as exposed to things but definitely you know as we send these messages coming down from from governments and 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 organizations of like what is good and what is bad what if someone's going wrong well you eat fried chicken Mm -hmm. and fried food is bad for you so you're unhealthy and like sending these messages which no one else is addressing apart from you this this idea of being non-judgmental toward our ourselves toward other families and toward other cultures is so important. And that's why in Affordable Flavors, which was our latest project, I actually brought in, I didn't create any of those recipes. I brought in a team of dietitians and nutritionists who created recipes from their own perspective and their own cultures. You know, each one had a different racial, cultural perspective. And so the recipes in that meal plan are not only focused on, you know, people who have a very limited income, but also people who are tired of dietitians who just make kind of this white upper class diet recommendations. There are in the United States, 86, 87% of dietitians are white. And when you think about that, that's like, it's really stunning. It's not representative at all. Yeah. Right. It's not even sort of representative. And there's not enough dietitians for different cultures and different communities to get what they need. And I think we really need to dig down and, and work on day in, day out telling our kids, we don't yuck on somebody else's yum. Such a great saying. We do not say that your food is weird. Like, we don't say that. You don't have to like it. You don't have to eat it. But you don't have to be rude about it either. And I will say, one of my kids is very frank. And I love that about him. It's so funny. He brings so much joy to the table. But he's also the kid who would say, ooh, that's disgusting. I'm never going to touch it, right? (laughs) And so I think this idea of practicing, we're going to practice being polite when, when you get something that isn't doesn't look good to you how do you handle that how do you spit something out politely you know there's there's all these things that we need to teach kids and we have to draw that connection of our food is very important to us and when you say something bad to someone's food 
you are also saying something bad to them. And it's really important. And I think also, you know, taking opportunities to expose kids to different flavors. I know that's been hard in the pandemic, I guess, unless you had an opportunity to kind of have different restaurants bring stuff to you. I wouldn't say my kids are overly adventurous and neither am I, but exposing them to different ways of eating. Recently in the United States, we had this was called like brood 10 cicada emergence. I saw this. Yeah. Cicadas are these insects that, yeah, they, um, they, you know, they burrow into the ground. Well, they, it's like 17 years of underground or something. Yeah. Right. There's 17 years. And, you know, we often have these cicadas that come in the late summer, but there are these 17 year cicadas and they survive by great, just the fact that they're in large numbers. That's how they survive as a <laughs> species. And so we had millions of cicadas in the air, in the trees, on the ground. I mean, they're still all over the place. And they're also a delicacy food. Now in my family and our immediate food culture, we don't eat insects. And in fact, we purposefully don't eat insects. We say, oh, those are not food. And we spend all our time washing them off our vegetables. Yeah. And so I decided as soon as this, I'm going to actually cook cicadas and I'm going to, we're going to try them because they're a delicacy and it will give us a good learning opportunity. And for me and my husband and one of my sons, we were able to kind of get over that, but we had a lot, <laughs> we had a lot to get over. It was a cultural taboo for us. It was a new experience, right? A new food, all those things. But my other son, he couldn't, he, he could only watch and for him, that was too big. But to his credit, he didn't say anything bad about it. He didn't say, oh, that's disgusting. Oh, those are so gross, right? So obviously, there's still times when he would say that. But he had a moment of maturity when he he just kind of watched and did not participate. <laughs> yeah, which is a big thing. You know, so I've always been vegetarian, that's right. And when I went to work overseas as an adult, quite often people would invite me to their home for a shared meal and cook me. I remember being in Morocco and them making this huge tagine with meat in and I you know I explained then they were like okay we kind of accept that but I still ate all of the vegetables out of the same dish and was dipping my bread into the dish mm -hmm. and that was me trying to like because you kind of have to meet people halfway yeah. it's like you know I'm not going to yuck your food and I'm really grateful for it you know I, I would probably meet other vegetarians who would say well that's hypocritical because that's just meat juices all over that and I was like yeah but that's someone else's home right that they invited me to. And I don't, you know, I don't want to be that person, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about before, like sometimes your kids are a little different than you. I mean, like it is not in my, <laughs> it is not in my life experience to have a lot of bacon around. <laughs> I will just say like that has never been part of my culture, but there, you know, it's something I've been thinking about. Am I willing to do that is that where I need to meet my child at? Well, my kids eat meat, you know? Right. So, my, um, yeah, Sebastian always is quite funny, though, because he says, oh, yeah, I'm vegetarian, but I eat sausages that have had a good life. Yeah. <laughs> so he won't eat anything other than pork. Right. And, um, and Humphrey has been, he's just like never wanted to eat anything. And then just the last few months, he wants to eat everything. You know, he's just like, I, I, I want to try chicken. I want to try this. And then yeah. Sebastian's like, but that wasn't a live chicken. He's like, yeah, don't care. <laughs> and that's, you know, but up until that point, I was like, oh, I don't think he wants to try anything, any meat or fish. And now he's just suddenly right. switched and wants to try it. So right. I can't really say no. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I find as kids get older, so my kids are are now eight and six. So as they kind of exit that that baby and toddler and preschool stage, they're kind of becoming their own people and and starting to have preferences that <laughs> may or may not be exactly in line with what you would choose. But I think it's it's part of the growing up, right? And we have to maintain this balance of I'm your parent. And I provide the boundaries in your life and I have this responsibility to keep you safe and to, to, you know, guide you, but also you are your own person. You actually are a person and you're going to have your own preferences and your own interests and your own foods that you want to eat. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned earlier about your new project of affordable flavors and you know, all the different dietitians and everyone who was in, involved in that. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? Because I, I, one thing that, so in the UK, we have this thing every year where our members of parliament or celebrities will decide to eat for a ridiculously low sum of money. Because we have, you know, a huge, you know, similar to yourselves where there's, you know, there's a huge gap, poverty gap between yeah. the haves and the have nots, right? Yeah. So, you know, they have this campaign every year where, People who are wealthy will eat for the budget of someone who's on the lowest income. And it kind of grates on me every time because it's like, well, it's fine. You're doing that for a week. Right. But you can't always get kids to eat porridge every day because oats are cheap. And you shouldn't have to. And telling people that, you know, well, I managed to get all of these vegetables that were being reduced because they were about to go off. But that just happened to be in your store. And in that area where they live, that might not be happening. And uh, making people feel guilty because they might have bought those little bags of chopped up frozen veg and say, oh, you know, you're damaging your children with that. (laughs) You know, but, but, you know, judging, but not actually trying to help and then telling them that we know how to be poor better than you do, which just, yeah, it it really boils my blood every year when they do that. And affordable flavor seems to be addressing the issues of, of healthy eating for people on a limited income without being judgy and crap basically. Yeah. <laughs> so I, yeah. Do you want to talk a bit more about Yeah, that? I completely agree with you. We we actually have something similar. So in the United States, we have a, a benefit if people earn a very, very low income and they don't have any assets, they, they get money for food. And it's a very small amount of money. It's barely enough to kind of make it and, and to eat a balanced diet on that amount of money. It does take a lot of planning. It does take a lot of cooking. And, you know, if people like in the United States, you might be able to have two full-time jobs and still qualify for um, these benefits because our minimum wage is very low. So, you know, you have somebody, they might be working 80 hours a week and then also to make their food budget stretch, they have to do a lot of cooking. So it's it's a burden. And, and we also have that thing where people do this, 10 day challenge or one week challenge where they eat on a budget and they, I feel like they, they make a show of poverty, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it, what it is. It's like a performance. It, it is. It's like a performance. It's often disrespectful. Sometimes people, sometimes people can handle it well. They can talk about how difficult it was. I, I like you have always been very skeptical and had this like pretty icky feeling about it. And, you know, when I was growing up, my family lived below the poverty line and my mom 
there's no way to afford childcare for five kids. But so my mom stayed home and, you know, it was her job to save money and it was her job to make our food. And you, and I saw that, you know, it is possible to feed your family on a budget if you can get your cooking skills and you also have a plan. Now, my mom was full time and she, she made a plan and she did it. And other families don't necessarily have the time to make a plan. And so that's what we wanted to do with affordable flavors. We wanted to make it a little bit easier for people to see how it can work out, how you can buy staple foods and put them together in a way that doesn't make you feel poor. Hmm. Because I think that's the challenge is... That is so... Yeah, that is the nail on the head though, isn't it? That you, do, you don't want to have to have that reminder every day of like, we're poor. We, we, we're, we're surviving. Yeah. We're poor. We're eating poor every single day. Right. We're barely surviving. What we want is families to, to feel secure that they can make the food last the whole month. And then we also want to give them ideas for how to use the benefits that are available to them. And then we also want to make sure that the, that the meal plans include flavor and they're pretty and the meal plan the meal plan is meant to feel good no matter what your budget is. So you can see beautiful pictures of these low cost meals that make you feel rich. They make you feel like I can do this. I can I can serve beans in a way that doesn't feel impoverished in a way that feels beautiful and delicious and my kids will eat it. Um, now I can we can never guarantee what your kids will eat or what they won't eat. Uh, but you know we we kept kid friendliness in mind. And most of the meals can be, you know, taken apart from each other. But I think that was our, that was our goal. Like how can we represent some different food cultures? So we feel both comfortable with the meal plan, but we are also pushing ourselves with new flavors. And how can we create things that taste good and have flavor and don't taste like cardboard, which is, uh, which is kind of a stereotype of us American food, white person food is it tastes like cardboard. And, and I'm sure, you know, with your mom's cooking, you there's so there's the spice and the flavors and the complexity, right? And that's not always the case in in um, in my culture. It's more plain. So you know, we wanted to bring spices in, we wanted to bring flavors in, and give people the ability to fit spices into their budget so that they could they could really feel feel better about that. But I I just think it's so important not to like make fun of people by by you know taking their budget for one week and pretending like you can feed your family, but no, it's poverty tourism. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly what it is. And instead, you know, if you understand poverty and you have the resources to put something together to help people, then do that, you know, change the policy is <laughs> causing the poverty, please. Um, don't make a show out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is, there's a, there's a, yeah, there's a bigger issue of like why we're here. Yeah, that just gets ignored in all of those conversations. Yeah. And I like the way that you have it as a slate, uh, there's a, a sliding scale yeah. on what you pay, including one of like, well, you know, if you have nothing, you can apply yeah. to have access to affordable flavors. For free. Yeah, for, we absolutely, this is, this is meant to be inclusive. And for me, knowing knowing what it was like to grow up with, you know, my mom following a very tight food budget, it was just out of the question for me to make this inaccessible to anyone, right? It should be accessible to everyone. And so we do, we get, we have a low cost option 
we have, if you, you know, if you can't do the low cost option, you can apply for free and we've never turned anybody down. You know, we've given thousands of copies away. And then we've also, you know, we set up the price. I mean, it is a very valuable meal plan. It comes with all the shopping lists and there's, it's a 30 day meal plan, two meals, or sorry, three meals, two snacks a day for your family with the nutrition analysis and all this all this stuff. It's a huge amount of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it does, it is a very valuable resource. And, and so we have, you know, here's the suggested price, but you know, we got the low price and then we've had so many people who want to be generous and say, you know what, I want to buy it, but I also want to make it available to someone else. So those people have also donated. And then we've also given people, we had so many people ask, they said, you know what, this meal plan isn't I don't need to follow this meal plan. I have a big food budget and this is not my my thing, but I really want to make it available to someone else. And we've had hundreds of people make donations so that we can continue to give this away. We've been able to give away, like I said, to our immediate audience, we've been able to give away thousands of copies. And then we're also working with community organizations all over the country to get it out to people who need it as well. For us, this is bigger than social media. You know, it's it's bigger than Instagram. It's huge. It's so huge. This is actually something that we want to get out into communities. We want to get it out into community organizations. And we've just been so privileged to have the community back us up with that and, and give their, their money and their contacts and help us connect with people. It's just been amazing to see. I think it's something that has been definitely missing. I used to, I used to be a social worker, so I would deal with a lot of issues within families. And you know, when you go, when you're a social worker and you go in to deal with one issue, you're called in for one thing, but actually, you know, families are multifaceted and there's always a lot more going on. We would send parents on parenting courses that would cover nutrition and stuff, but it was always done in such a basic way of just, you know, like you would do with a, maybe like a five-year-old of like, you know, these are the food groups, try and eat all the food groups. I was like, that's great, but they need to know how they're going to actually pull that together because otherwise it's you know, it's just rhetoric, isn't it? You know, to just say, well, there you go. Now you have the information. But when you're in that position where you are struggling each month and you have the worry, and actually, I think that people forget worry and anxiety. It's it's such a, a physical and mental stress. that You don't make good choices when you're under pressure. You don't have the headspace to sit down and think, how am I going to make this happen on top of all the other things I'm worrying about like how am I going to put money on the gas and electric card and how am I going to make rent this month and how am I yeah on top of all of that I don't have the headspace now because I'm too worried yeah exactly that's exactly where we find people are at and with the pandemic a lot of people lost their jobs we had one mom send us a message that said you know we used to own our own house and my husband had this great job and he lost his job we had to sell the house we don't have anything anymore. We had to move in with my parents. And I've literally been feeling worried about feeding our family. Can we continue to feed our family? And she said, you know, we we got affordable flavors and I have a plan. I know that the food is going to last the month. I feel confident and I feel like, oh, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And she said, yes, it's wonderful to have food that's lasting the month. And I even have some leftovers in the refrigerator. But more important than that, I don't feel like my life is completely focused on this scarcity. I don't feel like we're poor, you know? 
I feel like we have a plan and we can do this. And when we come out on the other side, you know, we're still going to be okay. So for her, it was exactly what you were saying, the stress and anxiety that the meal plan did, because, you know, worrying about running out of food is a major, major problem and source of anxiety. Absolutely. Jennifer, you've done an amazing thing. Honestly, you should be so moved by this, by what has happened with it. Because okay. it's the knock-on effect of it as well. Like it's not just feeding like you know now if a family has you know has that access to know that's one less worry which gives them space to maybe address some of the other issues Mm -hmm. in their life you know just just having that that break from worrying about you know ticking one thing off the list of things to worry about right right just I just wanted to go over some of my my favorite quotes from your in from your Instagram and, and one which kind of leads from this that you you put up during the height of the pandemic but about the food anxiety because you know I, I don't know if you had the same thing here of people like panic buying and empty mm-hmm. supermarket shelves you talked about reducing that food anxiety of there is no more this meal we may have more tomorrow and it was about how you can present you know worry it was there was two plates of chicken I think it was a chicken dinner on the post and I just think that that that's a really important thing because how we speak about food to our children sends a really important message doesn't it right yeah I mean sometimes we run out of something or sometimes we want to save it till tomorrow or sometimes we have plenty and and you can eat as much as you want and I think kids need all those experiences they they need to understand how to manage the disappointment of not being able to have more. And they also need to learn to regulate themselves. Like how much do I really want? And then eat until they're satisfied. So there's these two things. And when we're, when we are in a tight budget or when we're in a situation where we're running out of something or it's not accessible, it's okay for us to say, there's no more for this meal. There's no more available and we'll have more tomorrow or we'll have more next week when we go to the store or that's all we have for right now. You know, it's okay to tell kids that and and back it up with, and we have more bread or we have more rice or whatever our staple is, the one that's the lowest cost. You know, we have more oats. Give them a chance to fill up on the food that maybe is the lowest cost if, that, if that's your particular issue. We don't ever have to feel bad that we are limiting foods. Yeah, because I mean, that's just the reality to be able to never say no to our kids. Like they can literally eat what as much as they want at any time. And, you know, that is a very, very privileged place to be able to do that. Yeah. Are you doing them any favors with that anyway? And that's that's a question too, you know, maybe if you're extremely wealthy, that's fine. And then, you know, maybe you have family wealth. And so your kids are going to be wealthy too, you know, but I don't know. (laughs) I don't personally know anyone like that. And that's not what my life is like. So I think, you know, like 99.9% of the world, we have limited resources and sometimes we have plenty and sometimes we don't, we don't feel bad about that. That's just, you know, that's just life. Yeah, I mean, and, and learning to budget is a is a valuable gift, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. you know, at some point they're going to go off to college and they're going to have to budget. They're going to have to like manage right. that and think, okay, well, you know, if I want to save up and go away with my friends when I should be revising, then I'm going to have to take some money mm-hmm. at my food budget, but I'm still going to need to eat. You know, they're they're going to have to budget at some point yeah. in their life. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, I I always think back to you know, some of my growing up years that, 
you know, my parents never gave me money. <laughs> I, I did babysitting jobs and things like that to get money, but I was in charge of buying almost all my clothes and, and anything like that, any extracurricular activity that I did, I, I paid for when you're in charge of earning all your money, you know, you value, <laughs> you start to understand. So true. Oh, I probably don't want to do that because then I won't be able to buy those clothes that I actually need, you know, or, or I don't need those clothes because, because I don't need them. Right. So I think, I think a lot of it, when you have a tight budget, it teaches you to be, to be mindful and to, to say, well, as well, I think, right. Absolutely. But when we think about the world and we think about food and we think about the farmers and we think about the land, We shouldn't I be think, wasting. No, <laughs> I don't care if you can afford to waste. You shouldn't be wasting. I think that when we are mindful of how much food costs and in the work and the blood, sweat and tears that went into planning the agriculture and picking it and, and farming and all those things, I think our farmers and our farm workers are just wildly underappreciated and underpaid. And, uh, underpaid, underpaid, underappreciated, under understood, you know, nobody understands what they're going through. You know, we shouldn't be throwing out and wasting food that so much time and care and resources went into. But I really think the key is serving our kids really small portions. You know, we really need to focus on decreasing the size, the amount of food that we give them and enabling them to ask for more. Which is something you talk about a lot you know like asking your child like is your tummy full instead of telling them to finish their plate sometimes I find myself just serving four plates of food that that are almost exactly the same size Mm -hmm. you know and Joe and I are adults and I've got a seven-year-old and a four-year-old what am I doing (laughs) you just start like serving the plates and you're not really thinking and then you really I think like, and you pile it on and then you're like, okay, well, sometimes it's lucky because you can freeze the leftovers, but sometimes it's yeah. not a meal that's easily right. saved, you know, yeah, I'm like, right. what have I done? <laughs> right. I know sometimes I'll, you know, I'll serve my kids breakfast and then I won't make myself anything, but I'll sit with them. And then, you know, next thing I know they haven't eaten their breakfast and I just eat it, you know? Yeah. So I think little, you know, we... We make fun of that and we talk about it like, oh, isn't it so sad that I eat my kids' leftovers? And sometimes it is sad. <laughs> I I will definitely say. But then there's other there's this, also this aspect of, you know, it doesn't matter to me so much whether what I ate was perfect or, you know, looked good or these sorts of things. And sometimes I'm disappointed if they don't leave it because I had my eye yeah. on it. Exactly. I, <laughs> like, oh, I'll get to finish that in a minute, I'm thinking, but then yes. they don't. And I I, don't I recently, I made a smoothie. It was like the best smoothie I had ever made. <laughs> and I thought my kids were going to love it. One did. And my husband loved it. And I loved it. And I was like, ooh, maybe, maybe my child will not eat it. And then I'll get his. And then he spit in his drink. And I was like, I wanted that. And now I like, that was too much for me. I was like, I'm, I'm not going to eat that, but (laughs) yeah, that's kind of beyond my boundaries. I know some people who I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, no, no, I don't love my kid that much. You know, you know, your kids can't really understand what it's like to not have food until they've had either the personal experience or a lot of exposure to people who are are in that that situation like yes it's a problem but also it's a real privilege that they even have this problem you know yeah so I remember being little and being invited 
to a Christmas party that the church were running. Right, we weren't religious, but you know, I'd been invited to a Christmas party, mm-hmm. so I was going. And there was a kid there, and I remember it was time to go home, and we're all, you know, we're all putting our coats on, and and this little boy was sobbing, and he was sobbing and sobbing and sobbing because he'd put ice cream in his pockets to take home to his sister because he'd never had ice cream before Aww. and he were he didn't understand that it would melt and so he when it got to the point like he'd snuck it away and he put it in his pockets and as a child I never understood like I, I it was a sad situation of me thinking well that's really sad I don't want this little boy to be sad right but it wasn't until I was an adult that I could reflect on that and understand like the relevance of it in his right. life so you know even with exposure I mean we're like you can't it's an awful lot we, we I think we sometimes we expect too much of our kids like yeah. we expect more from them than we do as adults because you know sometimes you know I might make a meal plan for the week to save time and money and then it gets to Thursday and I'm like, oh, do you know what? I really don't want lasagna. Yeah. But if my kids say that, <laughs> you know, I'd be like, oh, I can't believe they've derailed my whole week. <laughs> Why are they saying no to this? It's true. That's so true. If you don't mind, I've been recently started ending my interviews, asking people a completely irrelevant question. Sure. Let's, let's give it a shot. <laughs> um, okay. so my completely irrelevant question for you is if a wizard came down and said there was only ever going to be one type of pizza topping for the rest of life oh my gosh what would it be um (laughs) honestly i think it would be pepperoni that's what my husband said (laughs) kindred spirits (laughs) it was it was wonderful to be here thanks so much for having me on oh thanks for taking the time